Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Steve Wall, and I'm the campus pastor for our Carmel campus. And uh, I woke up this morning to a very strange dream. I had a dream that I was up, on, up here on stage. I was getting ready to speak to you, and I opened my mouth, and I got sick all over the front row. And uh, I woke up, and I thought, boy, I hope Paul's not mad at me because he's going to have to preach this morning because I'm sick, and then realized I'm not sick at all. It was just a dream. Uh, do you, any of you ha- ever have strange dreams? Anybody ever have strange dreams? Do, do you have recurring dreams? You know, does anybody have recurring dreams? So like um, I, I was doing some research on dreams this week as I was preparing for this message, and I found that there are quite a few recurring dreams and some that I've had in the past. How many of you, if you're willing to share, have ever had a dream, a recurring dream that you're being chased by somebody? Yeah, okay, that's pretty common. Or that you get stuck, like you're, you're being chased and you're stuck and you can't move. You have that one? Uh, how about this one? I hadn't heard about this, but apparently the, one of the most common dreams is that as you dream that your teeth are falling out. Anybody have that dream or that your teeth are melting? Yeah, there's a few of those in the room too. Uh, uh, anybody ever have, this is the worst one. This is the one that I always have. I'm going about my day. I'm in my office or I'm in a meeting or sometimes I'm even back at school and I look down and realize that I am completely naked. Anybody have that one? Yeah, or in your underwear, you show up at work and you're in your underwear. What's that all about, huh? Well, I was doing some research this week and finding that uh, a lot of experts, a lot of psychologists especially, believe that your dreams are trying to tell you something. Your dreams are, are part of your subconscious that's trying to communicate with you. And in fact, some of these dreams, experts believe and have meaning. And so if, if you have this dream that you're being chased, many experts say that that's a symbol of anxiety, like that there's something in your life that, that you're trying to get away from. Well, that makes sense. The, the, the teeth falling out dream apparently uh, has to do with anxiety over how people feel about you, how, how people might... Uh, Uh, feel about your appearance, for instance, because your teeth, your smile is a very important part of your appearance, right? And so if you have a dream that your teeth fall out, you're worried about maybe, some experts say, how people feel about you. Well, believe it or not, naked dreams have a meaning too. And and many experts agree that when you dream that you're naked or you show up somewhere in your underwear, that they usually mean that you feel like you're hiding something or you feel like you're a fraud and you're going to be found out. Well, today we're going to talk about what it means to be naked. And, and, and since we're in a marriage series and we're talking about the vow of purity today, you might think that that's in one way, but we're actually going to talk about it in a different way, maybe not the way that you think. We're wrapping up our series today called The Vow. And, and, and in this series, we've been looking at four vows, four promises that if incorporated into any marriage uh, can make that marriage great. And, and so we've, we've been talking about that. We're going to start this morning the same place we've started uh, the last three weeks, and that's in Genesis chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, you might take them out and turn it to Genesis chapter 2. But before we do that, let's summarize what we've talked about in the last three weeks. You know, week one of the series vow, was vow number one, the vow of priority. And the vow of priority says, next to Christ, you are my priority. So in other words, we talked about how when we get married, that our most important human relationship becomes our relationship with our spouse. And so as a person, our number one responsibility is our relationship with Jesus. And then our number two responsibility is our relationship with our spouse. Nothing should come before that. Not our kids, not our parents, uh, not our jobs, not anything. So that was vow number one, the vow of priority. Vow number two was the vow of pursuit. The vow of pursuit says, I will always pursue you. And if you remember, uh, Paul was up here with his wife, Jenny, and they talked about how uh, when you, before you get married, you often pursue the one you love 
But sometimes after you're married for a while, that stops. And, and they talked about how you could pursue your spouse even after being married for a while, right? And so vow number three last week, if you were here, Paul talked about the vow of partnership. And in the vow of partnership, we said it's not about me, it's about we. And so when we make decisions, I'm not going to make them with my best interest in mind. Uh, we're going to make them with our best interest in mind. And, and Paul talked a lot about how marriage is a covenant, and not a contract. And a contract's like a 50-50 agreement. I'll bring my half and you bring your half. Whereas a covenant is like we're both all in this thing, okay? We're in it together. And so that was vow number three, <clears throat> the vow of partnership. And today, week four, we're going to wrap up with the fourth vow, and it's the vow of purity. And the vow of purity says, and this is in your notes if you want to follow along, I will confide in you, not hide from you. I will confide in you, not hide from you. Now, The vow of purity may be the hardest of these four vows to carry out in your life, but it's also the most important. And and before we really got into the meat of this message, I thought I'd take a moment and explain why I think the vow of purity is so hard. You know, if you you look through the creation um, uh, story in Genesis, what you find is that that God created us each. Like he he molded us, he shaped us, he formed us out of the ground. And so he he made us uniquely. Uh, He made us to be... um, different from everybody else on earth, but he made us special. He made us in his image. And so it's like this piece of Play-Doh right here. You know, he made us pure, right? And so then what happens is as we uh, grow up and we get into relationships and eventually we get into a marriage relationship or a sexual relationship of some kind and we meet this other person, this other uh, being that was formed out of clay that was made uniquely too. And, and, and eventually we become one flesh, right? And we turn into kind of one person and it's beautiful. This isn't beautiful, but it's beautiful, right? And so we've got this, this being that is two, but it's now one. And that's how God made it. But what happens so often is those relationships end and they, they fail to, to stick, (laughs) but the one flesh part sticks behind. And so as we, um, go through our life now, we look a little different and we've got some of that other flesh stuck in us. And then maybe, as we go through life, we become one flesh with somebody else eventually. And then maybe that relationship ends. And eventually we look so different from how God created us. We're not at all how God created us to be. We don't have that purity. And if we're not married, especially, we can come into our marriage and not have that purity of mind, that purity of body, that purity of thought that God created us to have because we've got these other one fleshes that we've been with other people. And so we can become so far from how God created us. And so when we get into a marriage, if we're not, if we've not been pure leading up to marriage, it will be hard for us to carry out the vow of purity as we get into marriage. And so, um, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. So, uh, Genesis two twenty four says this, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. But see, when we continue to become one flesh with more and more people, we get further and further from how God created us, right? And so that's why the vow of purity is so hard, but it's also why it's so important. And if we go on to the next verse, and this is where we're going to camp uh, most of today, it says this, the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Now imagine what it's like to be naked and feel no shame. And most of us will never know that feeling. I, first of all, it's not really socially acceptable to be naked in public in most places, right? I mean, if you showed up at work and you didn't have any clothes on, there's a chance that somebody was going to say something eventually, right? Um, 
but also we'll never be comfortable because most of us have some uh, anxiety, something we don't like about our body, right? Some insecurity. And, and if we're naked, we definitely feel some shame. Now, I got a glimpse as uh, what it looked like to be naked and feel no shame through my kids. Uh, my daughter, Grace, in particular, uh, when she was three or four years old, used to love to walk around the house with no clothes on. Uh, in fact, she would often come down the stairs, especially during our connection group, it seemed. We'd be having connection group in the living room, and Grace would come down the stairs wearing just her underwear and high heels out of the, uh, the dress-up clothes and a hat. And that was what she would wear. And she'd come down the stairs, and she would feel no shame about it. In fact, for a while, our group actually had a joke that we couldn't end until Grace came in the room naked. That was just kind of part of the group. It was part of the thing. And so uh, we were convinced, in fact, that when we, we decided to send Grace to preschool, uh, she didn't want to go. And we were convinced that's because she knew that for four hours straight, she would have to wear clothes. And we thought that she wasn't going to like that, and so she didn't want to go. But she had the ability to be naked and feel no shame. Well, most of us as adults don't have that ability. Now, in this passage, it says that they were naked and felt no shame. And that word shame, the Hebrew word for that is, is bush. Can you say that with me? Bush. It's kind of hard to say. Bush, we don't really, if we don't speak Hebrew. But that, that word means to be ashamed or to be disappointed. And, and in one, uh, one verse, it actually is translated as to become dry, that whoosh. And so in the beginning, Adam and Eve lived this perfect existence, and they were in harmony with each other, and they were in harmony with the land, and they were in communion with God, uh, and God said it was very good, and they were naked, and they had no shame. You know, they were naked and not disappointed. But then something happened. Sin entered the world. And you know this story, but this perfect existence was turned upside down. And we see a marked contrast just a few verses later. And if you're, if you're in Genesis 2, just turn to Genesis 3 there. And, and Genesis 3, 8, we'll start there. It says this, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And if you go to the next verse there, But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Now, so look at this contrast. Don't, don't miss this. Okay. In the beginning, when life was perfect, Adam and Eve were without sin and they were not ashamed. Right? There's no sin, no reason to have shame. You know, they realize they're, then just a few verses later, after sin enters the world, they realize that they're naked and they're hiding from God. Now, the only thing that has changed, the only thing that has changed is that sin has entered the picture, right? See, there's no sin. There's no reason to be ashamed. If there are no secrets, there's no shame. And see, Adam is so naive, isn't he? I mean, Adam thinks that if he could just hide from God, that maybe God won't notice his sin. I mean, he's so naive. He's so simple. He's so like me and maybe like you. Because here's the thing. There's no such thing as hidden sin. I mean, it's true in all, all aspects of your life. And if you're married, married, it's certainly true in your marriage. If there's sin in your life, if there's sin you're hiding from your spouse, it will eventually be exposed. It can't stay hidden. Uh, Jeremiah 23, 24 says this. Who can hide in secret places so that I cannot see them, declares the Lord. 
do I not fill heaven and the earth? You know, God sees your sin, right? God knows it. I think we all know that. But what's even worse is that your enemy knows it. You know, your spiritual enemy knows that there's secret sin in your life and he will use any avenue he can to gain entry into your marriage. And if he can't get in the front door, he'll crawl through the window. And if the windows are locked, he'll come in through the basement. You know, uh, anywhere that there's sin hiding in your life is a perfect entry point for Satan to gain access to your marriage. You know, secrets burden us. Secrets bring us down. Secrets can drive a wedge between me and my spouse. In fact, uh, look at this. It's in your notes. When, where secrets live, intimacy dies. Where secrets live, intimacy dies. You know, Proverbs twenty four twenty six says it this way. says, an honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. You know, in other words, honesty, which honesty is a lack of secrets, right? Honesty is like a kiss on the lips. Honesty promotes intimacy, but secrets drive out intimacy. You know, where secrets live, intimacy dies. But, but here's the flip side of that. Where intimacy lives, secrets die. Where intimacy lives, secrets die. And I think we all know this intuitively, don't we? I mean, it's true that the closer you get to someone, the more willing you are to share the deepest secrets of your heart, right? I mean, I don't often walk up to anyone and say, hi, my name is Steve. What's your name? Now, let me tell you about my deepest struggle with sin and temptation, okay? Right? We, we won't do that to people we don't know. But isn't it true that as we get closer to people, as we share experiences with, with each other, as we get more and more intimate with somebody, we're more willing to share our secrets, right? Because intimacy drives out secrets. You know, the implication for you and, and for me and our marriages is this. If you have times when you feel like you and your spouse aren't as close as you would like, you may want to examine your heart. I mean, do you have a secret? Because where secrets live, intimacy dies. In fact, the whole idea, I think, the whole idea of the vow of purity can be narrowed down to one question. And and this question is one that is so important, it can make or break your marriage. In fact, if you and I were to sit down and you would answer this question with me honestly, I could probably then tell you the state of your marriage. It's that critical. And this question is so critical, even if you're not married, if you're not married, this this question describes who you are. It tells me everything I need to know about your private life. It, it, It sets the course for your future in marriage. And it's so important even right now, that we answer this question. It it is central to your identity. And the question is this. What are you hiding? What are you hiding? I just felt some of the air go out of the room. Is it overspending? Maybe you've got a problem with spending and you just can't control it. Is there some physical problem that nobody knows about? Or, Or maybe your job's not real stable and you're not Uh, been brave enough or or strong enough to tell anybody yet? Do you feel very inadequate? I mean, maybe at your your job or or in your home, you feel like you can't get things done. You know, what are you hiding? Is it a problem with pornography? Maybe there's a Facebook friend that you've been talking with and and the conversations have gotten a little bit deeper and, and you're going to places where you know that you shouldn't go and you're sharing things that you know you shouldn't. Maybe you were molested as a child and never told anyone. You know, what are you hiding? 
It's a critical question, and it's one that is often difficult to answer, and not just because of the emotional baggage that comes with a question like that. But it's sometimes difficult because we don't always realize that we're hiding something. I mean, it's, it's kind of like living in a dark room, and, and our eyes get adjusted to the dark, and we don't ever realize that there's, there's light out there, that there can be something brighter, that something can be better. We don't always understand that things could be different in our lives or things could be different in our marriages. We think, you know, it's just always been like this and it's always going to be like this. And so we choose to, to live with our secrets rather than finding a safe place to drive them out. But we need to. I mean, if we want a great marriage, not just a good marriage, you know, not just a livable marriage, But if we want a great marriage, a God-honoring marriage, a marriage the way he designed it, we have to get rid of secrets. And if you're not married right now, God has given you the gift of time. You know, you can use this gift to decide to do things right. Even now, you can start to love your spouse with the purity of Christ. Now, it's not easy. There's a lot of pressure when you're not married. I probably don't have to tell you that. When, when all you hear from your parents is, hey, when are you going to get married? Or, or when are you going to meet somebody? Like you have a lot of control over that, right? You know, when are you going to meet somebody? Or, or maybe your standards are just too high. You know, there's a lot of pressure coming from that angle. There's also probably pressure coming from, from the people you interact with, from your friends, from your friends that are starting to get married all around you, right? And maybe there's pressure from that person you're dating. I mean, Maybe there's pressure even to, to take your, your relationship to that, that next level of intimacy. I mean, and, and let me just say this. If the person that you're dating is pressuring you sexually, they're doing one of two things. They're either not believing God's standards of purity or they're believing them and choosing to reject them. Now, I would think you don't want either kind. Look, married or not, there's going to come a time when we've all got a story to tell. I mean, if, is there some time in your, in your life, in your relationship, in your marriage, or even in your single life, when you realize that you've got sin in your life, that you've got secrets in your life, you're going to have one of two stories to tell down the road. And that story can be, hey, I, I knew I had this sin, I understood it, I heard I needed to deal with it, but I didn't do anything with it, and it hasn't changed, and I'm still the way I am. Or it can be, Hey, I knew I had this sin in my life and I decided to deal with it. And even though I'm not perfect and even though my past is really messed up, I decided to deal with it and I've dealt with it and it's gotten better. And here I am now. Look at this. I am so glad I made that decision to deal with it. We've got one of two stories to tell, you know, that, that, that in the future, when we decide to deal with it, our marriage could be more than we ever thought it could be. Now, now I have to tell you, I've done this in my marriage I've confessed sin to my wife, and it's uncomfortable. It's delicate. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it's embarrassing, right? But my marriage is so much better today because I decided to let intimacy in our marriage drive out the secrets. Now, is our marriage perfect? No. I mean, she's still working on that. And so am I. But it's so much better than it would be if we had a lot of secrets between us. So how do you do it? How do you deal with sin? I mean, how do you deal with secrets in your marriage? How do you address this in your marriage in a, in a biblical way that honors God and honors your spouse? How how do we gain purity in our lives? 
How do we gain purity in our marriage? Well, I think there's, there's four, there are four things we need to do. Now, the first is this. Get close to God. Get close to God. Psalm 119.9 says this. How can a young person stay on the path of purity by living according to your word? Now, now how do you live according to God's word? Well, first of all, you have to know it. I mean, you have, to, you have to read it, right? I mean, you have to dig in. And as we've already talked about in this series, if God is the designer of marriage and God knows exactly how it should work and God's given us all the instruction that we need right here, so all we've got to do is read it and understand it, right? But, but, but how do you do that? Well, a couple of resources. One, uh, if you go online, there's a website, one of my favorites is called BibleGateway.com. If you go to BibleGateway.com, there are reading plans for, the, for Scripture. And, and there's all kinds of reading plans. There's, there's chronological plans. There's historical plans. There's, there's through the Bible in a year. There's through the New Testament in 90 days. All kinds of things. But just decide to dig into the Word. Now, if, if you have a smartphone, there's an app called YouVersion, Y-O-U Version. Uh, and it's a free Bible app, and it's got all different versions of the Bible on it. But it also has reading plans on there. Just d- d- figure out some way to get into God's word every day. Read it and understand it. By living according to your word, you can stay on the path of purity. And besides reading his word, you need to pray. Now, not just at dinner time and not just at bedtime, but but be in earnest prayer about your marriage and your relationships. Because the next verse, uh, Psalm 119.10 says, I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I mean, that's a prayer. Do not let me stray from your commands. That's a prayer to God. Get intentional about it. You know, maybe you've already given up on your marriage uh, because you think it's too much work to fix it or, or it's not worth it. I'm going to tell you, I mean, depending on where you are, it could be a lot of work to fix it. And, and it's really going to be a lot of work if you try to do it on your own. But if you are reading God's word and you're praying and you're seeking his will for your life and for your marriage, it can be done and it will be worth it. I've seen it happen time and time again inside this church and other places where people have decided, been intentional about working on their marriage and seeking God's will for their marriage. And it has turned around and become uh, something incredible, something God honoring, something awesome. So how else do you get close to God? Was well, you're reading scripture and praying, when you, when you come across a verse that speaks to you or helps you in your situation... Memorize it. Yeah, I know you did that in Sunday school, right? But there's a reason, and that's because it helps. The next verse, Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, there are going to be times in your life where temptation comes along and you don't have a Bible handy. Now, there are going to be times in your life where you need to have God's word stored up in your heart. You know, if you memorize God's word or if you hide it in your heart, as the psalm says, it keeps you from falling into sin. So one, get close to God. Number two is this, absolute transparency. Absolute transparency. James 5.16 says it this way. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. I mean, this is so key. You got to find somebody you can confess this to. And it needs to be, if you're married, it needs to be your spouse eventually. But if you can't start there, find a trusted friend. Now, you may say, well, I confess my sin to God. Shouldn't that be enough? Well, yeah, it should be, but it's not. Do you know how I know? Because if it was, you wouldn't still be doing it. 
You know, confession of sin is such an important part of this process. James says, confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed, so that you may be whole. In other words, without confessing to another person, you won't be healed. And just for a minute, I want to talk to those of you who may receive a confession this week. You know, when when we come in here on Sunday morning and we gather as a group, as a church, uh, we don't just come here to, to hear ourselves talk or or, or to, to hear a message. We want to, it's our hope that we go put this into practice when we leave here. And so if that's true, then some of you this week have some confessing to do. And that means that some of you are going to be on the receiving end of those confessions, either from your spouse or from a friend. And, and can I just ask this? I just want to encourage you with this. If you're on the receiving end of confession this week or any week, would you receive it with grace? You know, so many times my tendency is to look at somebody else's sin and say, oh, how could you do that? Why would you do that? That's disgusting. I can't believe that you struggle with that. Now, I never say that. But in my heart, that's what I'm feeling because what they struggle with is not the same thing that I struggle with. And our tendency is to look at everybody else's sin as so much worse than ours. But, but just this week, or just the next time you hear a confession, could you just try putting yourself in their place? I mean, just just try thinking about how much courage it took for them to come to you. And and just think about how how much you've been forgiven for everything that you've ever done by your Father in heaven. And if you get a confession this week, would you receive it with grace? I mean, and just realize that it's only by God's grace that you don't struggle with the same thing. So absolute transparency. And number three goes with it. Number three is this, same-sex accountability. Same-sex accountability. Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. You know, confession and accountability go hand in hand because if you confess to someone, the next step is for them to ask you about that struggle on a regular basis. You know, to build that relationship where they've heard your confession, they understand your struggle, and, and they're not willing to let you live with it. And so they're walking beside you and... And if the sin you're confessing is affecting your marriage, it's so critical that your accountability partner be the same sex. And guys, you don't want to confess to your female coworker that you're having problems with your spouse. It just sets the table for too many things that can go wrong. <clears throat> I mean, even in my life in a pastor, uh, I, we've put controls in place to deal with this. I, I had a friend recently, a female, who confessed to me that she was a sex addict. And she called me as a friend, but she also knew that I was a pastor. And this had gotten to be such a problem in her life, even though she's not married, this had gotten to be such a problem in her life that she knew she needed to confess it to somebody and I was her best shot. And so the first thing I told her was that she needed to find a female, another female in her life that she could share this struggle with. And so I I threw out some suggestions and and she chose somebody. And then I, I called her in accountability. I said, hey, you're going to tell her by what day? And then I'm going to call you and and see if you did that, okay? The next thing I did, the very next thing I did when I hung up the phone was I called my wife. And I said, I want to tell you about this conversation I just had. And and here's what she said. And here's what I asked. And then here's what she said. And then here's what I said. And then here's what I'd like to do to help. Is that okay? Because here's the thing. If if I have somebody of an opposite sex confessing to me or if I'm confessing to someone of an opposite sex, I got to have that accountability in there. And so I wanted my wife to know all about this. I don't want somebody else's confession to wreck my marriage. Now, had she been married, I would have suggested that she go to her spouse. 
but she wasn't in this case. So I wanted to make sure that she had a female accountability partner. Same-sex accountability is so important. And the fourth one is this. Seek a higher standard of purity. You know, Philippians 4.8 says it this way. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. You know, we have kind of a diluted sense of purity in our society. You know, we seem to think of, of sin as like this, this line that we can't cross, right? There's this line that we can't cross. And so sometimes in our lives, what we do is we go as close to that line as we can get. And we think, well, as long as I don't cross that line, I'm still pure, right? As long as I don't have sex with somebody who's not my wife, I'm still pure, right? As long as I don't act out on that, I'm still pure. And we try to get as close as we can. But that's not what the Bible teaches. I mean, especially as it relates to sexual sin. Paul says that we should flee from sexual sin. Like we should turn the other way. So instead, maybe we should think about, instead of thinking about sin as a line, we should think about it as this continuum, right? Where, where sin's on one side and purity's on the other. And our practice shouldn't be to walk up as close to the line as we can get without breaking the rule. But our practice should be to go the other way. You know, to walk toward purity, to repent from sin and turn the other way and go. Right? Okay, let, let, me just say, let me just say it this way. I know that we have people in this room that are here that are just checking us, checking us out, checking out Genesis Church, or you're, you're still not sure about this whole God thing, or you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and that's great. And we're so glad you're here. But I also know that there are a lot of people in this room that would consider yourself a follower of Jesus. And there are people here that, that are Christ followers, that are Christians. And so we just need to start acting like it. I mean, I mean really, does our life look any different than people who don't believe. And we can look at things like adultery and think, you know, as long as I haven't slept with someone who's not my wife, who's not my husband, you know, that's, as long as I haven't crossed that line, I'm clear. But, but that's not the standard of purity that Jesus holds us to. If we're followers of his, if we've made that decision to make him be the Lord of our lives, that's not the standard. He says that any man who so much as looks at another woman with lust in his eyes has committed adultery. And guys, that's all of us. But if we seek this higher standard of purity... It changes everything. You know, if, if we could allow God's Holy Spirit to transform our minds so that we think about things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely, how would that change our relationships? I mean, how would that bless our marriages? You know, because honestly, as we talked about week one, the whole world is looking at the church to see if we get this right. I mean, the whole world is looking at our marriages to see, are they going to look different than anybody else's marriages? And right now, quite frankly, they don't look a whole lot different. But if we could get this right, everybody would look at the church and say, I wonder what's different about that. I wonder what's different about Jesus, that it helps them live better. I wonder what's different about Jesus, that it helps them stay married longer. I wonder what's different about Jesus, that they look so much happier. And if we would just allow God's Holy Spirit to transform our minds... And think about those things. That's how our marriage could be doing. People would look into the church and think, I want to be a part of that. So that's the vow of purity. I will confide in you, not hide from you. And if we want our marriages to be great, to be everything they could be, we, we've got to banish secrets. And it's not easy because, listen, it, it's, it's our human nature to keep secrets. I mean, we keep secrets because we worry about what people will think about us. You know, we worry about what our friends will think about us. We 
certainly worry about what we think our spouse will think about us. And we worry about what we think God will think about us. But here's the great thing about that. We already know what God will think about us. Okay? He's already shown what he thinks about us. I mean, God has shown his love for us, regardless of all our sin. Remember, we said God knows all of our sin, and yet he's chosen to love us anyway. And he shows us that through his words. Psalm 139 says it this way. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. I mean, think about that. The God of the universe who knows all of your sin, who knows all of your secrets, looks down at you and you can't count the number of precious thoughts he has about you. He loves you so much that he's chosen through his word to tell you how much he loves you. And he's chosen through his actions to show you how much he loves you when he sent his only son, Jesus, from heaven to earth, to be born to people, to be raised by people, to live a sinless life, to die a death that you and I deserved on a cross. And then three days later, he was raised from the dead to show that he could overcome sin. He could overcome death. And and if Jesus can overcome the grave, then he can overcome any problem that you're having in your marriage. You know, and if God's love is so strong, so powerful that he can defeat death, then God's love and letting it work in your marriage can overcome any problem that you're having. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for that love that is uh, overpowering, overwhelming, that never lets us go. That love that you showed on the cross. And um, God, I know this is a hard message to hear. I know a lot of us have a lot to process, Lord, but I am so thankful for your grace, which says that we are welcome no matter what our sin is, that if uh, we come to you and just uh, ask you for your forgiveness, that we invite Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, God, that you uh, have already forgiven us. You've taken our sin, cast it as far as the east is from the west. And so I thank you for that today. I'm so uh, amazed by your grace that's so mighty. God, as we go into this time of of communion with you. I I just pray uh, that we could be encouraged by the love that you told us about, the love that you've shown us, the love that you've modeled for us, God. I just thank you for your son, Jesus, and for the work that he did on the cross. God, it occurs to me that there are people here probably that don't know that love, that have never taken the time, that have never made the effort to to make Jesus the Lord of their life, God. And I sense that there are people in this room right now that desperately need you. And so if you're here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life, maybe this is the day. Maybe this is your day to get it turned around, to to get your life headed in the right direction. And if you're here, and I just want to pray with you if you're here and and you want to make that declaration today. So if you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life and you want to do that today, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you. I'd love to to pray this prayer with you. God, I need you in my life now. I've got sin that I can't handle on my own, God, and I want you to forgive me for it. And so would you come into my life and be the Lord of my life? Would you lead my life? God, I just thank you for your word, and I thank you for these next few minutes when we get to celebrate communion. In Jesus' name.